What is going on, Tiger fans? T-Bob Bear here with the Athletics Brody Miller for the second ever episode of the Hold That Podcast podcast. Uh, I did not realize until we, after we came up with that. Uh, is, is it, I don't know if it's a firm name yet. Maybe you can still call it tentative, whatever. Yeah, we're still floating. Yeah, I, floating I, ideas. I, I did not realize, though, uh, when we made that name, that if you're going to say that out loud, you almost have to follow it up with another podcast. Like, it seems awkward to me to say this is the Hold That Podcast. Ah, so yeah, so it, yes. Hold that it, podcast, podcast. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. But see, but that, then I come all the way back around, and there's a stupidity there that I actually it kind really of fits enjoy. what we do. Yes, we are the gonna, stupid smart podcast. That's what hold we call that it. podcast, podcast. Yeah, but we are genuinely taking any recommendations for a better name, though. So if anyone has anything, we're all ears. I'm kind of falling in love with it. Maybe tough to beat. Now that we've even had this conversation, I'm in more in love well, with it now than I was 30 seconds. My ago. dad, who obviously does not really know LSU football deeply, he's up in Indiana right now. He's just like, love the podcast. I thought you guys were great together. Need a new name. I'm like, ah, all right, dad. But he damn. doesn't like know what we're referring to. He doesn't it's know good, though. But, but your dad, it's, it's nice that you have a dad that is willing to offer you uh, constructive criticism. <laughs> we're all across. Our podcast is already going national, man. We're in the Midwest now. Yeah, that's, that's it. We're we that's, made it. It's huge. Um, so this is episode two. Uh, and it is Georgia Southern Week. It is. Um, oh, it just is like, okay, so a little point of clarification. We triple will, potching. We will be triple. Oh, yes. Nice. <laughs> yes. Yes. Nailed it. Oh, we will talk a lot of triple option day. A uh, little business, though, here. Uh, this will be out every Wednesday. We record on Wednesdays. Start putting it up right after the show. And um, right now we're not on iTunes. I'll figure that out in the next couple of days. Get us up on iTunes as well. I think it's really easy. We have a lot of people here who can do it. So for now, we're just on 1045ESPN.com. What's going on with this new athletic podcast umbrella y'all just opened up? How do we break into this thing? Yeah, so I, mean, I think we will eventually. So basically, like they when John, they hired John Hayes from a Fine yep. Bomb Show to take that over. And he, yeah, it was like 40 different podcasts I think they launched uh, across the company. A lot of them are college football. And his kind of he's overseeing college football. But his thing was like, all right, the ones we're going to start with are people that are already pretty established here, ones that are pretty obvious connections, that things like that. I think, but I mean, he when I told him about us, he was super excited about it. So okay. I think we will, you know, maybe next season be a part of that if this if we don't break up next by then. Next season? What the? F- maybe athletic? spring. What? Maybe spring. I think they want to get their bearings in. You know, maybe hopefully we don't break up by then. Hopefully Jesus. we don't have a Beatles situation. The egos colliding. Yeah. I guess so, man. Hey, man, yeah. we're under the 104.5 umbrella. Yeah, that's true. I'm proud true. of that. The I'm, best umbrella. Yeah. We may not have 600,000 subscribers, but we've got some local <laughs> listeners. Uh, all right, so let's go ahead and get into it, though. It is Georgia Southern Week, Brody. Game week is here. Uh, I do want to pick, I, I do want to ask you about this, though, because so. as we discussed last episode, you are from all over the country. Yes. So you've seen sports culture all over the country. I have. Here in the South, Saturdays have always just been like, you know, ingrained in me. In Little League, it was you would wake up, you would play your like rec league game at like 9 a.m., then you'd go home, watch college games all day. Um, is that similar to where you like, like, yeah. do you have that same sort of nostalgic feeling for college football that a lot of us get around this time of year? So good question. I do because that's always been my favorite thing. But I would say that is not quite what it is in the New Jersey area. You know, you're, a lot of my friends are Penn State people and whatnot. Yeah. You're going to see some of that. You're going to see some of that love for Penn State. But there's a different fanaticism with college football down here. Now, I would say the pro sports fanaticism in in the Philadelphia area, where I mainly grew up, is it's pretty comparable to an LSU football. I've kind always of said, insanity. I've always thought that Northeast loves their pro teams like South loves its college. But they are the most similar fan bases I've been around in terms of just Philly. Really? 
in Philly and Louisiana are not that different to me. Oh, no it's way. a lot of paranoia. <laughs> it's a lot of insanity. It's a lot of one bad game. You're terrible. Get out of here. It's. I think there's a little. You're not more. wrong. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think. I think that we just like. You know what? And this one thing I appreciate about Philadelphians. Um, there's a little more honesty in their action. Absolutely. Where maybe we hide our, uh, our, our, our kind of vileness under a thin veneer of smiles and like, hey, come eat this food or like, yeah. come drink this beer. I think, no, I think that's the, de- that's the best way to put the difference. I think there's more of like, a, in Philly, like, in Philly, no one's going to be like polite to you just to be polite to you. So they're just going to flat out <laughs> tell you, this guy sucks, <laughs> screw him. And here, I think you're going to have a little bit more of like, irrational belief in your team. So I think there's going to be a slight difference there. And I think the bigger difference is in Philly, there's more of just an anger. In Louisiana, there's more of like a paranoia. Everyone's out to get us. Yeah. Yeah. All these conspiracies. I think that's the bigger difference, but there's a lot of Especially since you've arrived. It's just, I feel like it's been like, uh, LSU fans have a bit of a victim complex at times where yeah. uh, it's yeah. really bad. <laughs> they feel like, hey man, the SEC offices are in Birmingham. Okay, bro, do you even know that? And I've, and I've also covered LSU baseball pretty closely these last two seasons. And it's just like, I'm not here to criticize you. It's actually cool. I, I'm a firm lover of how like much LSU loves baseball. But like the entitlement of like, we've only been to five World Series and not won one of them the past <laughs> decade. And I'm like, come on, guys. I'm 25 and I've never seen a sports team win a title that I root for. So I don't want to hear it. Yeah, it's all, it's, all, it's all relative though, right? I it mean, that's, it that's, that's, that's how it goes. And so when you set the expectation with the five and ten years, and it's, it sucks because it's an impossible expectation to live yes. up to. But you know what is crazy? People would have said that about Bear Bryant. That he had probably Ooh. set an impossible expectation of love to. And it obviously doesn't happen often, and it took decades, but like eventually that next Caesar type of character came along uh, with, like, uh, with, with Nick, Saban. Nick Saban. Which, speaking of, before we get into the LSU podcast, uh, just because it just happened before yeah. this, Dylan Moses tore his ACL for Alabama. Any thoughts? I mean, that's that's a mass. I mean, there's nothing like creative to say, but that's a massive loss because yeah. now it looks like they're going to be going to a, a true freshman there. And as much as we all kind of automatically assume with Alabama, oh, it's Alabama. They reload. They're fine. And they probably will big picture. But that's a huge loss. He's arguably the best linebacker in the country. Yeah. And you feel terrible for Moses himself, man. Um, if, like of all the times to get injured. Well, I, w- I would say this is one of the worst because you've gone through all the BS and here you are game week, you're finally about to go. I, get- I still think probably getting injured at the end of a season is worse, but it's a bummer. Especially for like a draft stock. Yeah, for a draft. But, but I mean, but you know, he put in all the summer running, all the spring fourth quarter workouts, like all the camp grind days. And that's the interesting and the most fascinating, unique, and why I love football so much is you do all of that 365 a day year-round work for 12 days like like that is what it all comes down to like like you are throwing hours upon hours into 12 days and in those 12 days everything is on the line both for like your season's hope and everything else it's why it's so much fun that's why it's not like i love the nba but 82 games is 82 games a loss kind of shrug you throw your hands and even same with the nfl yeah exactly even the nfl is a bit more where in college you almost have to be perfect everything's on the line but but all the work like the only payoff you get is on game day because practice isn't fun Practice sucks, and it's not like basketball where you can just go and like like people love to play basketball their whole lives and like play pickup and stuff. Like you can't do that. Like football is not fun to practice. Working out sucks, <laughs> but it is fun to be in a stadium of like a hundred thousand people and win. So so that wow, sucks. that was a genuinely beautiful like description of why college football is great. I enjoyed that. Oh, it is. I mean, that's the no. Okay, so so the the analogy that I've been going to for years and that'll always remind me of. It's like 
uh, why I love college football so much, it's like a a medieval tournament day, right? <laughs> so you have yes, just the, like that. you have the local castle. Um, and there's like an economy and, 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 you know, and a whole community environment that, 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 that feeds out of that castle, almost like a fief and serfdom thing. Right. I mean, look at the economy that LSU generates for Baton Rouge and any Ooh. of these college towns and, and in the stadium, you have a literal physical castle. Uh, and then, so on game day, it's like a big tournament day where you have all these exotic smells and sights and sounds and the colors are all very garish and, People are dressing like uniformly, but like they wouldn't normally. And you have one group of people that wears this color and they sing these songs. And this other group of people wears Ooh. this color and they sing these songs and they're weird. And and at the end of the day, it all ends in the tilt, right? And then whoever wins the tilt to the victor goes the spoils. And so it just has this incredible, it's something like, I imagine that it's like the same type of feelings we get or what. Peasants would have gotten uh, a few hundred years ago at like a great medieval tournament. So yes, the pageantry, the pressure, everything coming down to that tilt, that is why college football is so much fun, and that's why it sucks for Dylan Moses to miss out on the only fun part of football uh, with this torn ACL. That was fantastic. I have nothing to add. Well done. Yeah. It's yeah. fun to think about it. I love, I love it, man. That I was can't... a good analogy. I'm sure you've said that before, but that's the first time well, I've even, heard it. But, but like, that's even, good. Even when I was playing, I would like – Pretend I'm like my up. suit was armor and like the body paint and everything piece by piece. You put it on very methodical, like gladiator-esque. Um, all right, though, let's dive into this Georgia Southern Georgia game. Southern week, baby. Um, let's start talking about the Golden Eagles. Uh, obviously, a lot of people don't know about them. You have a very good article in The Athletic uh, talking about their triple option attack right now. Uh, Brooks Kubina has an, yeah. a, a really great write-up in The Advocate. This is great. He's giving you a general scouting report. Kind of a, a nice little history yeah. Of Georgia Southern and, and growing up, I grew up in Georgia. And so for yeah. me, I guess I've always known this. I, I don't know how common this is nationally, but to me, like Georgia Southern was always a powerhouse when I was growing up. Uh just winning national championship after national championship. I think in fifteen years they won five, or was it five or six? From, Something like that. Yeah, I don't know. They, I think they won six from eighty five to two thousand. Um and then and then there's countless like semifinal trips, like making it to the final four all through there. Uh, they move up to Division One back in 2014 after winning all these winning in 1AA forever, and now they already have a Sun Belt championship. Yep. They've got two bowl wins, and they won 10 games last year. So, like, this is a good, history-rich football program. And, like, last year specifically so impressive because the Sun Belt's no longer – I mean, not that it was a joke before, but, I mean, like, it's – the Sun Belt's got genuinely respectable teams now. You have your Appalachian States yep. who are – Genuinely top 25 Another teams. like Georgia Southern, a yeah. 1AA powerhouse. Absolutely. That made a very good transition to Division One and has found success. Yeah, so, I mean, winning 10 games last year, and you also have Troy in there, left Troy out. I mean, yeah. and uh, We don't. Ah, we don't my bad, yeah. Didn't Troy read the room here. there. Didn't read Brody. the room. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, winning 10 games, they even win the conference last year, and they, they beat Appalachian State. So, I mean, yeah. their, their success is genuinely impressive, and Willie Fritz, Tulane, gets a lot of credit for – for building them up to what they are now, getting to the FCS FBS level, but I always think about uh, Paul Johnson. Um, yes, who I think, which Brooks' story gets into about all just the history there. The tree is incredible, yeah. and it's because if you want to run, and this transitions perfectly into let's talk about this year's team because if you want to run the triple option, it's almost like Georgia Southern has been this like like the Harvard of triple option schools, right? <laughs> yeah. Like if you're a coach that wants to run the triple option. Uh, Georgia Southern has been specializing in it for for a couple decades, for a few decades. It's now. like Butler basketball with coaches that make teams off white guys. Yes. 
Yes. Oh my God. It's the same uh, thing. It really is. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But yeah, and I don't know. What, oh, damn, I lost my train of thought. Well, you had such a but, good. No, one now. thing I wanted to ask you. Oh, great line. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you though is, growing up in Georgia, like because you have Georgia Tech, you have Georgia Southern. Yeah. Was there almost like throughout the high school level, all these levels, like an infiltration of the option and the flex boom being a part of the uh, culture? No, you know what's interesting? Not more, not 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 that I remember. Okay, um, fair. You had your option teams. Uh, you had your wing T teams. I mean, those are kind of rooted in the in the same thing. But um, no, no, there, it actually surprisingly, now that you mentioned it, there wasn't. I, I, I will say this though: uh, one thing that I loved earlier this week, I read a quote. I think Tory Carter said it. I'm not sure. Probably. But he was talking about the RPO, right? And he was talking about how, well, the RPO is so great because uh, no matter what, the defense is wrong because yep. you're reading one guy. Because this way you do that. You do that. Well, the triple option offense is that writ large, right? Yep. Like, like, like in, in theory, no matter what, almost the triple, the triple option should be able to find a successful route within that play yep. if you do the right thing. And you have to win your one-on-ones and such. But, like, it is an offense that is um, that is predicated on very, like, snappy decision-making based off of what the defense decides to overcommit to. No, you absolutely nailed it. I think that's actually, I think pretty sure if you look back at that Joe Moorhead oral history that Bruce Feldman did a long time ago, I think it really did, the RPO really was born from some of those principles. Really? Yeah, it's, it's a great that. read if you haven't read it. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I think it's something, that's why assignment base is so important, is that you that is that you always have there's always a right option and that's why you know shy words is so effective is that all right if you if you can stop the dive then he's going to beat you on the outside if you can stop him they can beat you on the pitch so you really have to be so disciplined and one thing you know in my story I, I talked to to Mike Collins the defensive coordinator at UL Monroe and he's somebody who got destroyed by Bob DeBessie's offense when DeBessie was at New Mexico yep. he's somebody who shut it down last season you know, when he was at Georgia Great Southern. Great find there, too, because, like, you cannot find better insight. I lucked into that someone who got burned the first time yeah. and then, like, figured out how to stop it the next time around. And the one thing I wanted to ask him, though, is, like, listen, I'm not naive. I know there's a huge difference between how UL Monroe might play this team and how a Clemson or an LSU might play this team, because Clemson played them last year. Yeah. And I asked him, like, all right, so I'm sure you watched the Clemson film, Mike, when you, when you, when you had to prepare for this. And he's like, of course. I'm like, how different? is, you know, a Clemson-level talent like an LSU is going to have going to play this differently than how you might play it? And he's like, the honest answer is not at all because, wow. I mean, obviously... Dude, that's be, a triple option. I mean, that's what it forces It's the great equalizer. Into. It's yeah. the great equalizer. So it's like, okay, you're not used to being cut block if you're an LSU or a Clemson. You're not used to some of the things you're doing. So it really removes some of those those factors that are really... Which is also where the spread came from. Well, remember that Alabama game um, a couple of years ago. I think Georgia Southern racked up like 300 yards rushing. They had the lead at halftime. Nick Saban had like a, an Andrew just freaking out. And Army-Oklahoma uh, last year's Army-Oklahoma. the best example. Exactly. Where they somebody, just controlled the ball so long that Oklahoma's high-powered offense never had a chance. <laughs> Did somebody tell me this morning that Army doesn't run the uh, triple option. They were very emphatic about that. It was like, when's the last time you watched Army football? They brought like, a different version. I was like, well, it's like the Army-Oklahoma game. But yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's still the same thing. It's just rap. And that's something that you're going to see with this Georgia Southern team is uh, a lot of this is going to be out of gun. And it's going to be out of interesting formations. They're going to make the the trappings around it look different to throw off your keys to make those assignments that you have to play harder to identify. Uh, but it still is the triple option at the end of the day. I, I was reading some local Savannah news coverage of the Georgia Southern team, and uh, they got a couple tricks up their sleeves. They're, they're, Ooh, they're, what kind? Yeah, they were they were going empty backfield five wide during their scrimmages. Ooh, and uh, what's the head coach's name? Why am I blank right now? Uh, Chad Lunsford. Uh, Lunsford. Yes, he was he was sitting there. 
talking about how it was just the uh, you know little, little tip of the iceberg, just some new stuff that they'll be throwing in. So so expect some creativity within that more like I guess like traditional triple option uh, attack. So when you're talking about the keys to stopping it, then uh, well, well, first off, you talk you mentioned Shy Words. Let's let's mention him real quick because well, not only was he just the victim of one of the just uh, like something that seemed funny at first, but ends up being just really shitty and like racist to where he gets <laughs> yeah, pulled over. Yeah. And they say that it's at first the story was uh, like his Southern quarterback, George Southern quarterback claims that uh, substance on car was bird poop and it was really cocaine. We're all like, wow, what a weird excuse for cocaine. And then it, it was actually up, bird poop. It was actually bird poop. Uh, but but shy warts when he's not getting this, slander for no reason, is a very good football player. And last year, he threw for over 900 yards and 10 touchdowns. He rushed for over 900 yards and 15 touchdowns. And he was the only FCS quarterback not to throw uh, an interception. Or FBS. I always get those confused. Yeah, FBS, yeah. Only Division One quarterback to <laughs> not throw an interception last Which, season. Which I think the most impressive thing about that last stat is that you know, obviously, people go to like, oh, they don't throw that much. That's not that. It, it, but oh, yeah, give me a throw number. I was actually, I just should have looked this up earlier. 116 attempts, but wow. But I was gonna say is what's impressive about it though is they're not an efficient passing game. Like, there's a lot of incompletions there. They only complete, I think, like 59. percent But it's all kind of big gain or small gain. So what I take from that is there's a lot of risks there. So the idea that he didn't throw any interceptions while only completing X amount of his passes, I think that's almost more impressive to me in a, in a, in a small way. And yeah, I mean, numbers guy. <laughs> and also, they have the third worst sack rate in like I think the entire country. It was like fourteen percent of dropbacks he got sacked on. What? Yeah, it's ridiculous. So <laughs> it's it's the or idea 14%? of fourteen percent exactly. So the idea of no turnovers is actually really impressive. And there's probably going to be some regression to the mean there. That's just kind of natural. But like in LSU, might be able to force some. But I mean, he's a genuinely impressive quarterback. He's genuinely redshirt junior, right? So ex- yes, yeah, he's definitely so ex- junior, yeah. experienced, very experienced at this point. Yeah, and I, he's genuinely athletic. It's. I, I wish we could see what John Trey Kirkland looks like in practice, like running that run that option quarterback. Cause he's been the guy kind of mimicking that. But yeah, I mean, he's he's a genuinely impressive quarterback. But they're also don't underestimate how good they are running the ball. I mean, yeah. with the other guys, I mean, I think almost like every single running back on their roster averages more than five yards a carry. It's ridiculous. And so, how many how many running backs are they going to bring to bear? Do you think this game? Like, do they generally like last year? Do they, they when you look at a statistical? Yeah. You just look at the stats from last year. Did it look like they spread it out, kind of running back by committee style? Quite a bit. I mean, there was Wesley Fields who's gone. He had two hundred carries, so he had way more than everyone. But after that, it was like five guys with fifty or more. So it was a lot of well, I guess five if you count words. So, and I think they bring back like you're losing Fields and another guy, but you're you're bringing back I think like five guys who have four other guys who average at least six or seven yards a carry. You're bringing back some good receivers and whatnot. You're you're lo- I think the big thing is you're losing your two best offensive linemen. That hurts, mm-hmm. but you're still bringing back 66 overall starts. So it's kind of a trade-off there. Where you have a good amount of experience, but you're losing. Good starts, though? I mean, it seems I know, like that's good like, I don't know. It that's, seems like good so starts because, it, it, well, well, but you know, they were a successful offense last yes, year. Yeah. you got to be a good O-line to be a successful offense. Uh, so they do. So they lose two guys, but they return a lot on the O-line. Um, so they they have the talent. Like, they, they're a talented team. They'll do very well in the Sun Belt. And they've recruited uh, a lot better the last few years under Lunsford. But... They are not as talented as this LSU team is. <laughs> you know, and when you get into the triple option, uh, the key, I think, a lot of ways starts with obviously stopping the dive because then you force it down to two options. And now, But you can't overcommit guys to dive, right? When yep. you do that, when guys start making a play, big plays, that's when you start to get any trouble. So the key to stopping the dive is the D linemen winning their one-on-ones. Yeah. And vice versa, it's the O linemen winning their one-on-ones, their combo blocks. And... 
in that matchup, I like LSU. I should like LSU. Definitely. I mean, they, they 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 should be able to win that one one. And if you can stop the dive with your linemen alone, well, then that frees up everything else, and you should be in smooth sailing. Because I trust this safety group to be able to make the decisions on the pitch. Yes, absolutely. And the outside linebackers on the quarterback. Almost the most fascinating thing, and it's not a problem because it's basically how they played last year, but, you know, and Brooks Cabina was asking a lot of questions about this too, and it's like the whole thing about this defense is they're going to attack more on the defensive line. They're changing the way they play. And then game one comes, and they have to basically revert back to what they did last year. I Do you think if they could go back in time and not schedule this game, would they schedule a more traditional team right now? That's a great question. Because to your point, because like you said, right there with the defense, the entire philosophical shift that they want to take place in the defensive line, they have to be like, okay, but for this game, you can't do that. And it's right before right, yeah. your big, not, your yeah, huge game yeah. against number 10 Texas. Exactly, so exactly. It's really tricky, and I asked a few players about that, and they're all just like, now, Ed Ocean had the best response, and this might be just a good spin on it, and it probably just is that. But he's like, what I like about it is it takes away the even ability to look ahead because – you have to focus on the triple option. You just no, don't, that's fair. You don't have the option to look ahead because you have to worry about this. That's interesting, but at the same time, I do think there's there's cause for concern. I believe there's a quote out there. I don't even remember when he said it, but Dave Aranda at one point said, I like scheduling a game like this because it makes my defense focus on the fundamentals, and it's yep. almost like a good— I heard him say that. Yeah, I don't remember when that was. Which, it's it's like, you know, it's just about how you take it. Is that spin zone? Is that <laughs> true? true? There's I'm a little actually, skeptical. You know what? There's probably a little bit of truth in both, right? It's probably a little bit of spin, but— at the same time, this is going to test these guys mentally. And and, and it's almost like, um, and this is something that we talked to Booger about this morning. Oh, yeah. I thought he had some great insight. Um, he was mentioning you're going to be in Tiger Stadium, 100,000 people or whatever, 90,000, right? It's going to be crazy under the lights. Been waiting all offseason for this moment. Um, he was saying he would not be surprised at all if Georgia Southern went down and just scored first drive, just drove down and made seven nothing. <laughs> and the reason being, and it's it's pretty fascinating, he just was over aggression. Yeah. And so, like, like when when you read about, like, I'm a big fan of history and like military battles and stuff. And one thing that you learn is like one of the biggest things that can get armies into trouble is this bloodlust over aggression, where maybe you win a smaller battle and you start to give chase instead of staying disciplined and. Ooh playing your assignment and remaining where you're supposed to. And so you give chase, you lose your discipline, and then you end up getting slaughtered or you fall into a trap. And so, like, if these guys get over-aggressive and they give into that bloodlust because they're going to want to get the crowd fired up, yep. they're going to want the TFLs, the big hits, the big plays. Well, when you start over-committing and getting over-aggressive, that's when— That's literally what the triple option is yes, built for. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's when you open yourself up to the triple option counterattack. So it's something to keep an eye on. Going yeah. into Saturday night. Agree completely. I think the most interesting thing I think I heard all week from anyone we interviewed was Caleb on Chasson talking about the biggest problem is you want to be aggressive. You want to make a play. Yes. No one knows that better than him. He hasn't played in two years, basically. And and he's just like, you. it's so hard because it's so boring to play this way. And it's so natural to just, you know, maybe 20 plays, you do it right. But then maybe just that one play, you want to freestyle and make a play. And, you know, they might be on the field for, I don't know, 70, 60, 70 plays, yeah. something like that, that go long drives. Just it just takes that one slip up where you just get bored and want to do something, and they take advantage of it. So I think that's a a really good point. I, I think that's very valid. And and they um, 
And you mentioned the word boring. I think that's important, too, because they can lull you to sleep. And that's when they can hit you over the top. Or that's when yep. they can go for a big play because you've almost just been, it's just something like drone-like, and you're getting used to just doing the same thing play after play. So, And, and the last thing I'll add about aggressiveness is, you know, when I was talking to Mike Collins, he said the one thing he really regrets about that first time he got destroyed by him was he tried to send pressures. Yes. He tried, he yes. tried to be aggressive, and he's like, that's where Bob DeBessie will will just dominate you because he will figure out exactly that's what this like we said a million times that's what it's built to find out is where the opening is they're gonna they're gonna take it so he got destroyed on that and then he learned though maybe one or two pressures a few pressures worked pretty well situational yeah, yeah. You so know, what he did was passing down to get, you know you like like i don't mind going after Wurtz's his ass yeah uh if you know they basically have to pass like Especially obvious the secondary passing down, you have. yes yeah. dude trust your secondary and first off as you point out there's nothing more that triple option O-linemen hate more than having a pass block. <laughs> and there's nothing more that triple option quarterbacks hate more than having – I mean, you know, there's probably a few things they hate more. But they don't love having to throw all the time. Yes. They normally don't. Yeah. And, yeah, I was going to say, it's like, well, I, the most interesting thing I thought I took from that was he was saying what he learned from the first time, though, is you take those few that worked, and now you know the offense better, and you know what they want to do with the offense – so when you send a pressure, now you know what they want to do with it when you're sending pressure, and you can adjust the rest of your defense. Oh, I see, yes. So that was something. And that's also why I don't think Clemson's the best example of what to study about like a big-time school playing them is because Clemson plays, played Georgia Tech every year, which is a triple option. That's fair. So, they, yeah, so they're, 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 they're fully used to it. This wasn't like them being – Brent Venables knew what he was doing mm-hmm. with this. And if anything, they actually scheduled it before the week, which I found fascinating. They played him the week before Georgia Tech. So it was yeah, why like not? A double, triple do, option. Do, just yeah, do yeah. a little triple option sandwich right there in the middle of the season. So they dominated them, but that's not the best example. I think LSU might get a little more a little more tripped up with some of those things. Also, as we said last week, um, what was it? Uh, uh, ah. What were we just talking about? Triple option, dominating. Oh, 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 Clemson. They had four yes. first round picks on the D line. Yes. Like, yeah. like, let's not, let's, like, you can't, like, I mean, they're an outlier for almost any college football conversation because yeah. they had four first round picks. It's like on the, the conversation where everyone's like, man, Clemson figured out how to stop Bama. Yes. Exactly. Don't get me wrong. Brent Venables might That's what we is arguably the best DC in football. That, yeah. But it's like they also had the best four people to get after, too. Uh, no one else has been able to do that because they don't have those four. I mean, that is literally written in football core rule. The Ten Commandments of football is that if you can get pressure with your base four, that's the best way to stopping an elite quarterback. Yep. Right? For Brady, Breeze, whoever it is, that's that's the eternal truth. Absolutely. Um, well put. All right. So, if nothing else, I think the triple option makes this weekend a little more exciting yeah. than it would be than if you were just playing a vanilla run-of-the-mill uh, FBS team. And I think that I like that Georgia Southern's good. Too. Like, like that. This is not someone that you're just gonna come out and mess around against, and and just lean on them and eventually break through. Not like that. Like, it just. I think it does cause guys to focus a little more. Uh, one thing about if you run the triple option, though, you're married to running the ball a ton, which means if you have a lead, uh, you're built to hold on to leads because the clock becomes your greatest friend, and every point that you score has more value than it does if you're a, a less clock control offense, right? But the flip side of that, the inverse, is obviously that when you get behind, every yeah. point you get down is that much harder to make up because the clock becomes your greatest enemy. So if you're going to really stress them and start to blow them out and win this game, and yeah, the defense has to do their job, but the offense, um, they'll go a long way towards doing that. Like if you come out and you score touchdowns your first two drives, the amount of pressure, that is almost back-breaking pressure yeah. applied to Georgia Southern if you can do that. Yeah, which is why, because I think we were talking on the radio this morning about you know how 
what do you want to see from the offense this week and all that kind of stuff. And it's almost built perfectly for them because you don't want to show too much this week. So maybe just go one quarter, balls to the wall. You know, they want to be they want to have this absurdly fast tempo, no huddle, all that. Show what you got for a quarter. Maybe it takes a half. I don't know. However long it takes you to hypothetically get a lead. Yeah. Go show people, make them happy, and then like you said, the clock's your friend. If you if you appease enough people, you maybe you start using some of those freshman backs or however you plan on using them this year. And that, and all of a sudden you go away with a I don't know twenty point win right off the clock. A a a, a really good offensive staff, um, and they have so many analysts and, and Brady and Inzig, there's so many minds in there. Uh, they should be like a really good offensive staff could come up with a plan where you can kind of go balls to wall and have success and still not show the entire breadth yes. of your offense, right? So like. They should be able to do that, and it should still look different. And we're not talking about just lining up and like I formation once you get a lead. Like they're not going to do that. Um, it's just kind of relying on a little more check down. Yes, you know, things yes, like that. It's not yes. getting creative. That's yes, yeah. exactly. And uh, so, what do you think? Do you think the offense? What do you what, what do you know about this Georgia Southern defense? I got to yeah, be honest. I don't know much. No, I, it's I, good. I, I know they were second in the Sun Belt last year in points allowed at twenty one. Um, they got that good DN Raymond Johnson the third. Yeah. He's first team All Sun Belt. Uh, he had four and a half sacks this year, eight tackles for losses as a sophomore. Now that is, I really like that test for the tackles, a position group that we're going to be looking yeah. at a ton this year. And I think it's going to be Sadiq Charles and Austin Deculus. There's some talk that maybe Sadiq won't uh, yeah. be in the lineup. Some whispers, I don't know anything. Take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but if he's not, it's I, I like it even better then because Badar Triora, it's a great, almost you could describe it as like a low-risk testing grounds for Triora and for Austin Deculus, because you're probably still going to win this game, right? Yeah. Um, uh, even if you give up a couple sacks. But obviously you want to test yourself a guy against a guy like this and get some confidence going forward. Which, you know, I've heard somebody refer to theory that it's like, some some people think, you know, Damone Clark maybe not won't play that much this season, but this week is maybe when you'll see. And maybe they've been hyping Damone Clark up so much so that he will play a ton this week, for example. I mean, they've been talking about it. Every time you bring up yeah. middle linebackers, they mention Damone Clark. But um, to answer your question about this, I mean, it's a solid defense. And the front seven last year was like all sophomores and juniors. It was oh, wow. all young. So the front seven's almost entirely back. And then their two best players on defense, some would argue, is their, their two senior cornerbacks. They're both, you know, genuinely upper. You know, obviously it's not an SEC cornerback. Sure, LSU, no matter what's going to have a talent advantage. But but it is a relatively solid defense. They're losing it's a lot. It's good, of, though. I mean, good cornerbacks, good. They're going to test out that's the what we're looking for, receiving yeah. core that we've got so much expectation heaped on with. Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, and Jamar Chase leading the pack there. Uh, and then a good front seven. Well, it, like I said, these are both introductory, le- good introductory level tests for the exam that will take place just a week later in Texas against players that are going to be way more similar to uh, your the guys that you're recruiting if you're at LSU. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, I don't even have much to add there. But yeah, it's the, it's the perfect test. So, um, so let's talk about the wide receivers then. Because you, you, you had a great article. Uh, on the athletic, get your subscription. Uh, where you broke down this core and and kind of how they're a- a- expecting to be used. Um, what 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 do you think? Like, why are why why do we think this wide receiver core is going to be so good? Like, why why do you see yeah. them as being so so talented? Well, it's it's fascinating because I mean, you've been you know better than anyone that having talented receivers at LSU is not particularly new. I mean, no, you have so many guys that never yeah, do anything in college and then make it in the NFL like for it's years. It's crazy. So that's not new. The difference is how they were used. And I think last season, and you and I love talking about this, like our favorite thing to talk about is how <laughs> LSU handled the offense last year and all the little ripples that it caused, right? Yes. And I think it goes back to, okay, starters, but even before you get into scheme, 
Justin Jefferson had a great year. Everyone other than that was either kind of a you know, unreliable veteran, like a you know a D Anderson yep. or something like that, or it was a true freshman like a Jamar Chase who admits he had a lot to learn with X's nose and really was behind on that. He, he was he, just he was just trying to keep his head above water. Yeah. Athletically, he said he just went out there and tried to play football and yeah. like, tried to learn things. And then you have Terrace Marshall who had a leg injury that he will tell you was not one hundred percent for. So start there. Then you have I think I think Jerry Sullivan only trusted Justin Jefferson. Yeah. That's something you kind of hear from a lot of people that and maybe Joe Burrow too. I don't think like I'm not blaming Jerry Sullivan that like we just said there are reasons for that, but they pretty much only design plays for Justin Jefferson. That is I have heard from independent sources. I can corroborate that same thing <laughs> that I've corroborate. Uh I, I I too have heard that that Sullivan really I mean that was what he wanted the passing game to be yeah. was max protect develop a, a route for Jefferson and let him win. And that's because he comes from an era in the NFL where it's like, I'm going to draw a play for Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah. And that's what it was about. Point. And I'm not saying Alan Hearns, didn't he have the good Jer- This is not me not criticizing Jerry Sullivan because he knows what he's doing and has had a long career. It just might not work anymore. And then the last thing, which you just alluded to, was they pass, they max protect. So all of a sudden, you're only sending two or three receivers out, which even more so puts it on Justin Jefferson has to get open. And that's the only person we're really going to, that or a check down. And that's why I think the receiving situation happened like it did. So that's all hit, him, hit him with the numbers, though. Hit him with the exact target numbers. And as Brody does this, I have, uh, I have, I have a memorized off, off, off the dome, I'm pretty sure, if you just want me to. Oh, I got it. From your article. Okay. <laughs> but Because as, as Brody tells you these numbers, um, put yourself in a defensive coordinator's shoes and yeah, think about okay. how nice it would be to game plan against a, a statistical makeup like this. Yeah, I mean, Justin Jefferson was targeted 91 times. The second most on the team was Stephon Sylvan with 43, and then there's like five other guys who are in the, you know, like 30 to 40 range. I mean, so... And that is the the biggest... That is the second biggest differential in the SEC. Only Kentucky had more where they just only threw like screens to Lynn Bowden. That was it. (laughs) But no one else in the SEC came even close to that differential. Uh, Yeah, and as you pointed out in the article, I think Alabama, the differential was like 24, and then Georgia was like 6. And obviously, those are two teams that you kind of aspire to be like. And, and so, and so, what those numbers called to mind to me? First off, you have one guy getting literally over two hundred percent of what the second place guy is. So, from a number standpoint, if you're game planning, hell, let's just stop Justin Jefferson. Like, just cover him, and you're good to go. And the second thing it called to mind was Mike Leach had a press conference last year. We talked about offensive balance. And he said, everybody thinks about balance as run pass being 50-50. That's not real balance. Real balance to him is what are your different position groups doing relative to each other? Even if you break it down further, what's your different guy? Like, how much is each player producing relative to each other? And when viewed through that lens, uh, that's horrendous balance. That is complete (laughs) imbalance. And so I don't care in that offense. I don't care if you're running and passing at 50% of the time and switching back and forth. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's ineffective because yeah. ultimately your decisions, where you're going with the ball is utterly predictable. And, and so that is what they are fighting against this year. And that's what modern football is about. This isn't us being creative. I think most teams know this is it's not Fair. about, you can't base it around player. It's about space. The offense needs to be built around where's the space on the football field and basketball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I mean, obviously, LSU probably, when you when you ran it that way, there were probably a lot of other options open. There's so much space on the field. Yeah. So now they want to have Terrace Marshall and Jamar Chase on the ends, Justin Jefferson in the middle, and the Thad Moss or Stephon Sullivan in the tight end. All of a sudden, you're spreading that defense out, and it's going to be more even because it's going to be just flat out 
what's the defense looking? Where's the opening? Joe Burrow's going to hit that. Obviously, we haven't seen it. We don't know how much this is going to work. I believe. I toast. I toast. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so I I think. If the offense succeeds. If you don't listen to episode one. That's right. (laughs) uh, For a long time, listeners. Is that the acronym? Is that what that would be? The acronym acronym is ITOS, if the offense succeeds. So, yeah, I think by default you're going to see a lot of changes with how they do things. And it all starts with the simple fact of, they're not going to do seven, eight-man protections. It all starts there. Yeah. It's going to be five, maybe six-man protections. There you go. And use that space more, and then, like you said, just spread out the actual targets more, which will just come inherently with running a, a, a different style of offense. Like, 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 like Brody pointed out last year, it wasn't just that Burrow loved Jefferson. I'm sure, I'm sure he did. It was that that was the plan, was to literally target him. Um, I got a question for you. Yes, what do you got? So, of all the, like, the questions, you know, they get on every show you go on, things like that, usually I have a general answer for, right? Yeah. The one question I get often that I just flat out never have an answer for is, how are the running back carries going to go this year? What's that <sighs> divvy up going to be? And I'm curious just what you think. Because uh, I, I have random theories, but I'm curious what I you mean, think. I think Edwards Elair gets um, the initial nod. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't have a great reason for this, but it feels like Emery might be the most like high potential guy in the yeah. group right now. Like maybe by the end of the season, he becomes the guy. I'm still interested to see Leonard Fournette from a pure receiving perspective. Like, is he that much better than the other guys? Because I don't really know how great these other backs are in catching the ball. I think um, if they trust the freshmen mentally, I think it can, it, it'll just be a by committee thing at first, where yeah. they're really splitting up reps and trying to keep guys fresh going to the fourth. If they don't, then maybe it becomes a more Elair Edwards heavy, uh, heavy divvy. What do you? What, what? What's your theory? And again, everything else we talk about, I think you and I are usually coming from a basis of like, I, I know this, I heard yeah. this. This one, just pure projection. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I I've no never reason. gotten a single clear answer on this one, no matter how often we ask people, coaches, anyone. But. My almost theory is, first off, you start with Leonard Fournette. You hear a lot of talk about how much he's going to be used. That's probably true. You know, he, he probably is a good fit for what they want to do in the pass game. Well, I think he's, I think, uh, yes, he's I the think best receiver of that group. that he's a good receiving back. Yeah. But there's also a small part of me that looks back to, remember last year, opening day, all this talk about Edwards Hilaire, Brosette, the running back situation, who gets the first play of the season? Leonard Fournette. Leonard, yeah. And then you never see him again for like nine weeks. And then Leonard Fournette was about oh, to transfer. About that swing pass. That swing pass. Like nine weeks later, you saw it. It was awesome. <laughs> yep. And then Leonard Fournette was about to transfer this spring. That much is true. And then they ch- he changed his mind, got talked into staying. You almost wonder, like, maybe they pick their spots where they use him to keep him happy. You know, he does have skills. I'm not arguing that. But almost like, you know, it's, let's, this, is, this is when we can use you to keep you well, happy. Well, if he – does he carve out a – He might. Pierre I'm Thomas-like guessing. niche. Like, yeah. if he is truly the best receiving back – is he your third down back? He might be. Like he could just straight up become the third down back if 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 he's that good. I guess that remains the problem. With, the problem with trying to judge running backs is we don't get to see shit during camp. Nope. And all the running backs are new, pretty much. Except <laughs> I mean, except for Edwards Elayer, who we saw a bit last year, and Curry, who we saw a little bit. Yeah. And then my other theory, and I'm basing this purely off of all the positions they're pretty open about. Right. This guy's great. This guy's worked to do all this stuff. Running back, they're the most like kind of secretive about. Uh, the way they talk about people, and but it's almost like they're hiding the way they talk about John Emery, which could be one of two things, right? It could mean he's a project more than we realize, but it sounds like he's doing pretty well in scrimmages, things like that. Or they want to pick their spots with John Emery. Well, did you see the run that the yes. Emery tweeted oh, yeah. out? Very impressive. Which is what I'm leaning more Heard he got his ass chewed out <laughs> I believe uh, for tweeting out practice <laughs> film. Ed, Ed O'Jean's response about that video was, would apply what, that. Wait, what did he say? What did Ed say? It was just like a... 
he just made like a face when he was asked about the video, just like angry. <laughs> and it's like, it was like, there's a lot of other ones he didn't tweet out, which the fact that he knew it was tweeted <laughs> out means like, yeah, he's yeah, angry. yeah, yeah. But, um, which, yeah, I'm leaning toward more to the side of, I think they know John Emery's the goods. And I think they want to pick their spots with him. They're trying to hide that light under a bushel for a little bit and then let him explode. I wonder that. So I wonder how much do we see him this week? Maybe not that often, but maybe let him explode during SEC players. But then you also, but then you also want to get him in. You want to get his feet wet. You want to, you want to let him. You want to let him get some of that rust off. It's like the same thing with Caleb on and company. Like I, I think this is a great chance for him to get some game action. Like any of the freshmen, I really like this Georgia Southern game to just get like your first ever. Get the butterflies out on the field. Like you need Cordell, experience. you need Cordell Flott to be on the field. Uh yes, I think yes. you need that. Which yeah. uh, one of the interesting parts of the press conference uh, was this week, where he said that uh, Coach O basically called Flott as like pseudo starter. That yeah. like they would not have a problem if he had to start a game. Yeah, which to some extent you just got to hype those people up so you don't get paranoia from everybody about <laughs> that cornerback depth because that is they're all freshmen. They I mean, are, once it, you get it past, is Christian Fulton and four freshmen. Yes, and obviously we're we're kind of siphoning off Kerry Vincent and uh, Cam because he plays Moore. a different position. Yeah, because because he, he's a nickel, but but he does play a different position. But if one of those two on the outside goes down, do you think Flot comes in or do you think Kerry Vincent goes? I think Flot because okay. and it's a great question, and I think Vincent could definitely play corner. I was listening to Muscone and Ryan Clark, Ryan Clark talk yesterday, and they brought up a good point though of like. Kerry Vincent might be the slightly better outside corner, but you got to look at the difference, right? Like, do you feel better about yeah, going how much Vincent you, to yeah, Lewis, exactly. or do you feel better about going Stingley to and Nickelback's kind of it's as you said, it is kind of a I mean, it's more and more becoming its own specialized it's an important position role. in this defense. It, it's a twelve starter uh, yeah. it, on every level of football now. Just go ahead and say there's twelve defensive starters with Nickelback uh, being one. Of them. Well, especially with how much they love using Stevens and Delpit in the box, that spot is so important because half the time they play him so far back, you are the safety, yeah, and you you need somebody back there. So I personally think you go flop. Plus, you want to see him develop. But anyway, this is a long. We got a long way away from the running back conversation, and I think <laughs> I would wow. love. I I think Whoa. my my last prediction I'll make is my guess is you know if they get a lead, all that stuff, you just run Davis Price a lot because if anybody can run the clock out, it would probably be a power back like him. Yeah, you're going to give him reps if, if he's not going to see the game the season games that often this season. I think that would be the best way to kind of divvy that up. I'll be. Um, I haven't heard much about Tyrion. He he had he almost had more. I was hearing some more like. Hype for him, even than Emory, in a lot of circles coming into camp. But I don't Same. feel like I've heard about a lot about him since camp started. That's exactly where I. That's exactly how it went for me. I heard so much stuff from Summer, and then not as much lately. You know, you hear a lot of his stats from scrimmages are not good. Although you never ever want to do anything based on scrimmage stats. No, no. But no. but what they would all say. There are of, certain things that you can get. Like if guys have similar numbers of carries, they do like to see the production like differences. At some, at some but what what O would always say when we asked him about that was he would say. Yeah, but we used him in all these short yarded situations, yeah. and he did That's a good fair. job. So we'll see. And again, we're well, and like you're doing so like run period. Like yeah, yeah. Just take scrimmage stats with a grain of salt. I still like high completion percentages in scrimmages, and I, I don't always get that. That's also important when I, I'm starting to. I, the more I talk to recruiting people, I think people need to look a little closer at that when they're recruiting quarterbacks. What completion percentage? Yeah, I mean, what is quarterback? Is accuracy and decision making? Both of those things directly funnel into completion percentage. Yeah. Yards per attempt and completion percentage. That's it. That's why Daniel Jones is going to be the best quarterback that the NFL's ever seen. That's He's true. averaging twelve yards per attempt. It's just a fact. Yeah, completing eighty percent of his passes. Yeah, something about time someone said it. Hall of Famer. We're going to call James Moran in now. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, shout out James Moran. Um. Oh, okay, okay. Speaking of uh, players who we, I I had a segue for this, but I forgot. Ah, Dad okay. Moss. 
Yes. Thad Moss hype is back. You are in the a you are the Thad Moss guy. Big way. Uh, last year, especially on Tiger Zone, the Wednesday night show that uh, we're actually going to do later tonight with Hannah Griff. Nice. It's like pure Tiger Talk, 8 to 10 p.m. Every week we'd be getting questions about Thad Moss, and it just became this running joke because like, at the beginning of the week he would practice, he'd be hurt by the weekend, rinse and repeat. But this time it sounds like Thad Moss may be for real. He is the starting tight end. and wow. I know. Wow. And it's I almost can't believe it. I know, and that's that's the thing. Like you said, you said it before the show. It's like he became a punchline because it was this whole thing. Like you said, oh, he's practicing Monday. We all, all the reporters had to put it out there because it's our job. And then all of a yeah. sudden, we're getting yelled at by fans. I'm like, I'll oh, believe it. Come Thursday, and they're right. He never then he wouldn't make it to Thursday, or he'd make it to Friday. And he told us once he's like, I'd make it to Friday, but then I'd have to have a conversation with Coach O, where I'd say, Hey, Coach, I'm seventy percent. I don't think I should play at 70%, get myself hurt, get another play, a teammate hurt. I don't think that's a good idea. And then it was just constant He cycle. would have those talks. He said that. So you know what's interesting to me, and this is maybe speaks to some of the more warped culture of football. Um, as a former player, like I know he's technically doing the right thing there and yeah. what you're supposed to do, but like, and I almost hate saying this out loud because I wish I didn't feel this way, but it's just like my natural instincts. And, and it, look, it, to be clear, uh, from a more logical, I'm sitting here in a room sit, talking to a microphone standpoint, I understand that this is stupid yes. and should not be encouraged. But, but <laughs> uh, I would have viewed that as very soft. I would have like probably made fun of that guy for uh, taking himself out of the game if the doctors had cleared him. Oh, and I think when you like talk if to the doctor people- said you could play and then he said, well, now I'm like 80%, I can't. Yeah, we would have ripped. And I don't know what doctors are saying. You know what I mean? I have no idea what that's fair. We don't. You talk to certain people at LSU. Yeah, you did get some of that. You did get a little bit of that. Like, why isn't Thad Moss playing? What's the deal there? And it's valid. But, you know, when you talk to him about it and you never want to go just. But like he said, like half the time he couldn't walk for a week because he would he would take one wrong step and then he can't walk for a week. Then he'd start the whole cycle over again. Hope to get to Friday. Then he can't walk for a week. And like in in an era where we're dealing with the wake of Andrew Luck retiring and Gronkowski and and you're, you're getting these unique insights into. Yeah. The pain that people push themselves through and how bad it can be for your body, your mental health, everything else. Like, yeah, that should not be encouraged. Like, that sort of pressure should not be encouraged. But I wonder if you can ever actually avoid it. Like, I, I don't know if it'll ever yeah. go away. Maybe it already has. Like, like, maybe maybe it's not like that as much anymore, and teammates would be more encouraging of, like, actually looking out for yourself and whatnot. But, yeah. but, but by the way, I, I don't want to get too lost in weeds here. It's just a little It's a, It's thought. a good talk. But Thad Moss... Because this has been the um, August that defines it best because it's all these players sitting out for camp injuries and they're trying to save them. But Thad Moss now, he's back. Um, And what is most exciting, it sounds like he's a good pass catcher, which is great, but it sounds like he's actually a pretty pretty effective blocking tight end as well, which LSU has nowhere else in this roster. No, absolutely. I mean, unless it's like Torrey Carter, but it yeah, can I think be you like. I think TK end. McClendon's a quality blocker. Torrey Carter, but yeah, I don't imagine McClendon playing much. I don't know much about McClendon. Me neither. Um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's funny because the way they would talk about him the past two years he's been on campus is like, man, Thad Moss, he's a great receiver. He'd spread out that defense. You know, if you ever played him out there, it was just it was always talked about what he can do as a receiver. And he even admitted to us the other day, it's like when I came here. I had to learn how to block. Not learn how to block, but I had to change the way I block. He's yeah. like J.D. Moore and Foster Moreau. They had to teach me how to block. I had to change my footwork, my stances, my my first step, everything about it, because I just didn't know what – I wasn't very good at it. And Two good guys to learn from in J.D. and Foster. Absolutely. And now you talk to people, and it's like 
that's what sold him. I mean, Ed Ogeron said that's pretty much what made the difference. Is now he, he talks about him as the big physical blocker. I talk. I asked Lloyd Cushenberry about him. Like, hey, you're a blocker. You know, are you actually seeing him get better? And he's like, we go to one on one pass rush drills, and he'll come on the out. He'll come work with the offensive line. And he holds his own. I'm like, what does hold his own mean? And he's like, no, he will win some of those. And that's crazy. I mean, one on one pass rush is a drill that is. Very defensively uh, <laughs> skewed, oriented, yeah. defensively skewed. That is very hard to win. If you if you consistently win one on one pass reps as an O lineman, uh, you're probably going to play in the NFL, um, which I imagine Cushionberry does consistently. Yeah, that's Foster. That's probably what got Foster Moreau uh, in yeah. the NFL. You know. Um, oh, okay, so 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 Thad Moss, yeah. uh, LSU might actually use a tight end now. Yeah, sounds he's like he's excited it. from a receiving and a uh, blocking standpoint. Definitely. But what about Stephon Sullivan? Um, have you heard anything about his health? Have heard maybe a little? Uh, is he is he is he banged I mean, up right now? Is he, he missed healthy? about a week of practice. I mean, it's definitely that definitely probably like an unspoken factor in this. I don't know if it's. I doubt it's necessarily like Thad Moss came and dominated and took this job. I don't think it's because the way they talk about him is they are both starters. They use when when you use those kind of lines and things like that. That probably means Stephon Sullivan might not be a hundred percent and. And, and so, um, and, and to be clear, I don't think that's a big deal. Like, I think he'll, he can get back to 100% or close to 100, even if he doesn't play in this first game. But what do you think Stefan Sullivan's ultimate role? Because what I found very intriguing was, like, the article that you, you wrote, uh, the 90-plus targets for Jefferson versus 43 for Sullivan. Yeah. It does become pretty appetizing then, okay, well, not only are you going to have Jefferson on the field right now with uh, Terrace Marshall and with Jamar Chase, but you're also going to get your second target guy from last year, Stephon Sullivan, on the field in a lot of those formations as well. So, so you're gonna have a lot of good body threats out there at yeah. any given time. Sullivan's a bigger mismatch for a defense than Thad Moss. I think Thad Moss yes. is a good, reliable receiver, but Sullivan's a bigger mismatch there. And it, yeah, like you said, it's worth noting every time you ask anybody about Thaddeus Moss, they also throw in there without even being asked about it. And I think Stephon Sullivan's going to be a game changer for us. So. Mm. I'm really interested, uh, and like you said, I wonder if it's more of a Thad Moss, the week one starter, while we save Stephon Sullivan. Maybe they both get a good amount of time. I don't know. It's kind of like the left guard competition where Adrian McKee's still taking all the first-team reps. I wouldn't be surprised if he's still the week one starter, but there, it's, there's no secret. They want Jason Hines to be the starting left guard, and yeah. and maybe come Texas week, Hines, they say, okay, we're saving you week one, game two. See, but that's where I get, that's where I get a bit concerned because Jason Hines, I, I do think he's going to be very good. And what he did last year as a freshman was so impressive. But is he to the point where you can feel comfortable with saving? Yeah. Like, like is he to the point where you feel good about enough about him that he doesn't need the Georgia Southern game to and probably not kind of knock the rust off ahead of Texas? And I haven't heard they're going to do that. That's just me spitballing. Is Hines, do you think Hines going to play? Is Hines back practicing full yet? I he's mean, been practicing. So on yeah, he's been practicing for I think five days straight okay. now. Okay. That's a good sign. But McGee's still taking those first team reps, which is interesting. Oh, really? But. Again, it's just the way they talk about him. It's they. It's like they're not even trying to hide the fact that it's like Bad McGee's Adrian, fine, Adrian, but yeah, but but Hines is. You know, we're, we want Hines. Like they don't hide. They want Hines to win that. So I just really think it's just a matter of. It's like the way they handle this whole camp. Be careful. Use him when you need him. But I do agree. I don't think he's 19 years old. He's not somebody you feel comfortable just being like, oh, I'll save you for Texas. So let's touch on the offensive line then, real quick. Um, if Lloyd Cushmere goes down, who plays center? I, it's not Charles. Jason Hines? No, it's not. It's, it's not, not Charles Turner. Um, is it Jason Hines? Is it Delu? Did I hear that Delu was doing some cross training? I haven't heard that. But no, no, no. I was, I'm wrong. Then it must have been Hines. That was. I think it's Hines. Okay. I think you go Hines there. That's also part of why well, you need an Adrian McGee. I wonder if he has a grasp of the offense. I mean, that would be very impressive for a sophomore. I'm just saying because it took me like a couple of years. I felt like, and then he moved over from D line. So if he's 
if they're comfortable enough with him being that two and making those calls, that's 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 uh, impressive. It speaks to Hines' mental capabilities as well. Yeah, I know. I, I apologize. I do forget the other name off the top of my head, but I know I've been told another name who actually has like occasionally gotten. Is it snaps. Michael Smith? Is a bus driver? The, the, the walk on that they put on scholarship finally. He's the guy. He's done. That all honestly, the dirty might work. be it. He's the only reason they've been able to practice at times <laughs> yep. the last couple of years is because they had him. He still hasn't gotten to play in an actual game, but at least they finally put my guy on scholarship. Shout out, bus driver. Uh, okay, maybe so. Maybe he figures into the yeah. depth chart. Yeah, I, I apologize. I genuinely don't know, but I just know I was told like if, if someone goes down, it's not Charles Stern. Like, yeah, Charles, no, I mean yeah. I know that. I, yeah. I like I, I think that much is obvious. And then so 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 you bump one guy in, and then you have to, then you have and then do you go Donovan Campbell or is it Bedard? Triora? I don't think it's Donovan Campbell. Is it, I, is it Triora? Do you think he's the main guard backup? They've, he's yes. had a lot of hype in that regard lately. Well, keep in mind it'll probably be McGee. If you have to move high, you just probably play McGee. But, but yeah, I think. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know if. Uh, okay, yeah, that, that's fair. So Trior is not passed up. But yeah, I think I think Trior is the next guy up. You know, definitely a tackle. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But I also think so a guard. You know, Anthony Bradford. They really like Anthony Bradford, but I still think he's probably like the third guy they'd go to in that scenario. So I I, I think Trior. I think it's it's been really interesting that how much those massive guys, both Trior and Dare Rosenthal, in the past year have both kind of spent different amounts of time at guard and tackle, and those are. Some large guards. That's probably more your expertise. They but. they are large guards. It's um, but you know what you've seen out of Trior, you don't know if maybe he has the best tackle footwork. Right, it's like Herman Johnson <laughs> back in the day was recruited as a tackle. I think originally before he went on to be a very good guard. And, and look, yes, generally when you're playing on the interior in guard, it does behoove you to be a like more compact guy because it's more of a leverage battle. Uh, guards the most physical offensive line position. Yeah. Um, uh, and and you're pulling and whatnot, but I've also seen guards that are very tall that have been very successful. So like, yeah. when you take a guy like Bedard Torah that has a lot of the tools, but just maybe just is close to the athleticism, but doesn't have quite the athleticism to play tackle, he can play guard. Look at Andrews Pete, the Saints, yeah. great example. Drafting as a tackle, he just doesn't quite have the tackle skill set in the NFL, but he's made himself into a, a, if not a very good guard, a legitimate starting guard in the NFL. Like, I wouldn't say very good, but I would even say good yeah. guard in the NFL. So so I, I do like hearing about Trevor's potential move uh, to the middle. I, I I hope that he gets to play some this I year. I don't, I don't Especially, think he comes through injury, but, but I hope he gets rotated in there. It sounds like, I mean, and it goes back to like, you know, we're saying about Sadiq Charles and like, you never know what's going to happen there. Like, yeah, that's true. I, I've never heard Ed Ogeron go out of his way to mention the third tackle so much. He's like, we're looking, you know, we need Bedard to be our third tackle. It's not like a term he always uses. That's not a common thing. You know. No. Um, so it's almost like they, re- it's almost like they know Bedard Charlie is going to play some tackle. This yeah. Year. They know yeah. that. So he's their swing guy and the interior guys, Adrian McGee. And then and they like, and they like Anthony Bradford. Is probably the, Chase and is probably the center backup. So, I got I got another the takeaway question. there is hope that Lloyd Cushenberry stays healthy. <laughs> Lloyd Cushenberry <laughs> is definitively the most important guy on the offensive line. There's geez, no denying that. Because he's also the only one of those guys who I – mean, Damian Lewis has talked about trying to be more of a leader type guy, but he's pretty quiet. Like, yeah. And Lloyd's quiet, but a different kind of quiet. Well, and, and I talked about it last year. He, he he's That's been one of the main things he's worked on. I talked about it again at SC Media Day this year. It's one of the main things that Lloyd has worked on because he is a naturally quiet guy. Is becoming more of a vocal leader. He's quiet but a good talker. You know, yeah. there's a difference. Yes. Like, yes. And I, th- yeah. If you lose Lloyd, you really don't have anybody who can be that guy who gathers everybody. And Lloyd also, 
Lloyd's also the guy who yells out like before every play, "Hey, left guard, here's what you're doing. Right tackle, here's what you're doing." And they other players will tell you that. Like guys yeah. who are the ones getting yelled at will tell you, like, "Oh man, sometimes Lloyd has to tell me what to do." Well, and that's why I, I mean, that's why even more than the uh, talent drop off, which would be significant, like the you know, is his Hines or somebody ready to make those calls? Like Probably that? not. No. Or does a guard have to step up and make the calls at that point? Uh yeah. So I have one last question for you. Yeah, yeah. Which doesn't have to be last. I just mean like one other thing I want to ask you. Yeah. Um. So and I, it's a tougher one because it's such an experienced team. But so la- almost every year I feel like there's one just like breakout. Didn't you didn't expect player? Last year was Grant Delpit, right? Mm-hmm. And year before it was Greedy Williams. Probably every year there's one player you didn't see coming that becomes a star, all American type player. Is there anybody that you that would jump to mind for that for this year? Okay, let me. Think. And it's tough because so many players on this team. I mean, uh, does Jamar Chase count as a breakout player? I know he had a pretty good year last year, but like, it's somewhere that he he seems really interesting. Um, because yeah, all the answers when I was driving here, I was thinking about it. They're almost cheap because yeah, it's like Calevon's the answer, but that's also not a surprise. Yeah, because we already knew Calevon. Okay, so like more of a true surprise. I wouldn't because and well, there might not be one if you're as deep in the LSU woods as we are. You're probably expecting a kind of jump like that from Jamar Chase. So I wouldn't even say that fits the uh, parameters here. So. If we're going with someone truly unexpected, I just don't know if I have one. They could do really good. Uh, man, because it was a bad question. You're expecting a tongue out of Stingley. Jacoby Stevens got his own hype train rolling last year. <laughs> yes, he did. That uh, Moss. No, I mean I don't. Uh, no, I don't think he's going to reach that level quite. Is there a defensive line? <sighs> I mean, I maybe look to that linebacker group. That's like, probably the best bet. Like uh, because Divinity, even though the coaches love him, it's still kind of odd to us that he's playing in the he's middle. He's never been a a genuinely productive player yet. Yeah, and then and then um and then Jacob Phillips and Patrick Queen are both all the potential in the world guys, only they're battling over you know, they're battling over the same job. Like they're both on like national watch list battling over the same jobs, but there's the both of those guys are, those are great someone ones. that I could see so, so probably I looked at that inside linebacker group. That's good. And, and maybe like uh if you wanted to get real oh 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 ooh, or, ooh, uh, ooh. a little Tyler Shelvin. Yes. Do you think that he can make that jump? You think he's that good though? I mean, the way people talk about him is almost like a God. He has so much talent. If only he can just get it together and lose weight and all that. He stuff. looked good working the bags. And I know, like, I don't, whatever. I don't want to put <laughs> yeah. too much into drills, but like, he's he was ex- moving smooth. He's an explosive athlete. Yeah. I remember David Randa told a story last summer. I, I've always wanted to get the video of this of Tyler Shelvin once, like, on a play that went like sixty yards in a practice, ran the running back or receiver down. Like, oh wow! He's a great athlete. He's same with Apu. I could they both have so much like athleticism there it's just can you stay in he's shape? just too big can you be disciplined i think ed ojean's talked a lot about how he has to learn the position a bit more and actually you know learn some of the fundamental things better but yeah i think nose tackle might be a good bet there because apu aika if he looks anything like he looked in that spring game that dude can be a stud yeah i mean he was yeah he was uh apu was going off um what a get recruiting day i mean signing day yeah. for for bill bush and company to kind of snag him out of nowhere wasn't he like the number two player in utah or something probably number um, one. I don't know. yeah either way uh and like and he's he well he has to be that guy also because you don't have that much at nose right now i mean you have him and shelvin and then who's the third joseph guy? evans uh oh who Ed and, keeps talking again, highly of. maybe this is just to stop the paranoia stuff that you were talking about but they do love them some joseph evans it they seems do. like right now um I had something I wanted to ask you. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, so we talked about defense, talk about offense. There's three faces of the game, though. Uh, special teams. How you feel about LSU special teams? I guess I'll start with saying that 
I don't think we fully appreciate, and it sounds crazy because it was celebrated, but I don't think we fully appreciate the Greg McMahon special teams turnaround that took place last year. I would year. argue it won them two games. Yes. So like Cole and not Tracy, just Cole Tracy. Exa- exactly, yeah. exactly, right. Cole Tracy himself obviously represents multiple wins, and he was spectacular. But Avery Atkins leading the nation in touchback percentage is absurd from where they were. Uh, Von Rosenberg in ground, but Von Rosenberg made himself into a very good – what was his average last year? Was he like – Tenth or something in like net pun average. He was top ten in the country or something. It was I, I don't have it's like forty five. Let's put it this way: the two of them are the number seven pun efficiency in the country. Wow, wow! There, it's from where you were, which and, was terrible. And then did you already mention Avery Atkins? Yes, yeah. The touchback. I mean, he led the nation, right? Touchback yeah, he was number one. Yeah. So I mean, and listen, Zach von Rosenberg is really good. Yeah. But I wonder if we just don't know if he's going to be as good at those short distance punts. I mean, he talks about how much he's learned from Groudon and how he's going to be better. But Josh Groudon was one of the better and best in the well, country. Well, them, them Aussies are damn good at pooch, but they just grow up playing Aussie rules football. They can place it wherever yeah. they want with their foot. It's like you, you, you can be Von Rosenberg. You can get very good at it over years, but it's going to take years to get to the level of a of an Aussie who's been doing it <laughs> since he was yeah. a little kid. So I think by default, here's what's probably going to happen. You're by default going to have a drop-off in the kicking areas of you're probably going to have a drop-off. Katie Work, it sounds like he's going to be an all, a great kicker, probably could break some LSU records in his four years. But you know, he's, they're probably going to have a drop-off from a guy who was a Luke Rosa finalist. Yeah. He's, plus, he's an 18-year-old freshman. Then you got Punt's probably just going to have a slight drop-off. I still expect Von Rosenberg to be a Ray Guy candidate and all that stuff, but you're probably going to have a drop-off there. Kickoff efficiency you probably feel pretty good about. On the other hand, you only have room to improve on the return game. They that's were, true. They were not good in the return. Punt return was, I think, an unmitigated disaster last season. Yeah. You had no return from that. You had fumbles from that. Nothing worked. They got to a point where you were just telling not threatening in the slightest way. It got to a point where they were just telling them literally just falling the ball. Yeah, and and then kickoff, they weren't bad. There was just no big plays. You know, they were forty fourth in kick return efficiency, but until the Fiesta Bowl, he never actually broke anything past like the twenty seven. I don't know. So does Derek Stingley change that? I think punt return absolutely. Yeah, I think just first off by default it's going to be an improvement. But I think Derek Stingley finally gives you somebody back there who can make. Some big plays. I don't know if Clyde's going to become some guy who who's break- returning kicks this year. Is it Clyde, Clyde. again? Uh, we asked him about, about that Monday, and they said Clyde's still the guy there. Okay. Um, yeah, and I think you're, you you also see. You know, I'm curious how much that changes in a long season if he's getting all the touches at running back. Yeah. So maybe a Trey Palmer, maybe a Kerry Vincent get time back there. That would be interesting to watch. But Stingley at punt return. I mean, the way people talk about him is like he's got like Reggie Bush abilities back there. Mm. So. Long answer, I think you see oh, yeah. a drop-off in the kicking options, but I think you have just a by-default massive improvement in return. How much of a drop-off do you think from Tracy York? What, what did Tracy make, 87% of his kicks last year? 87.9, good work, damn. 87.9. And, let's, and, and that number's not even reflecting how some of those were massive kicks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wonder what the college average is and where York would fall relative to that average. Like, like seventy five percent would still probably be great for a freshman. I would imagine yeah. that'd be above average for college kickers. But how would that feel to LSU fans that got used to a guy that was making eighty nine percent last year? A ton of pressure on KJ. I know it's so funny. It's a fan base that for so long was so used to them being bad. Yeah, and now just out of nowhere, you have like an irrational expectation. I, I asked Cole Tracy. I'm like, do you think you as an eighteen year old could have? Kicked in Tiger Stadium. He's like, nope. Yeah. He's like, not a chance. He's like, yeah, I mean, that's just a lot to ask. I think he's, you know, everyone around will say he's more talented than Cole Tracy, you know, and he's got a massive leg. He seems like he's a pretty disciplined guy, but he's, he's raw. But he's going to have moments where he 
He's also only been kicking for three years. He's which green. Is, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, he was. I mean, like all these guys, they were, young, they were I mean, soccer so, players. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then he, he didn't really he didn't start taking like intense lessons with like the top guys until I think he was a junior. So I mean, those. So he's still pretty raw. He's learning pretty fast, but he's gonna have moments where he probably misses some kicks he shouldn't. And that's the test for. But kicker. Alabama's in the same boat. A and M's in yep. the same boat. I believe. I think they're going with. But that's the test for kickers. Can you survive those moments and then? Yeah learn to get past them and then eventually make them because like that's the big it's all mental if do you do, do you let that kind of setback just break you or or like i said can you survive it i, I used to live with kickers so i know how Ooh. just pressure filled that could be josh Hasper actually all american consensus kicker for lsu back Ooh. in the day yeah very good back in 2010 shout out to my god um all right well uh i guess we should we've been around here for about an hour it's generally what we're aiming for for each episode of the Hold That Podcast podcast. And um, predictions on the way out, Brody. What are you expecting Ooh. for LSU Georgia Southern this Saturday? Good question. I will go 31-10 to 10 LSU. Okay, okay. Um, I do like that opening drive touchdown prediction. The spread is at 28-and-a-half. Yeah, I definitely think. take the, the points if I'm, about I'm a to betting say, man. Uh, if you've watched LSU football over the last decade, taking a spread that large is a recipe for disaster. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep going back to like a little, uh, like 35-14, 35-17, something like that. Um, that would be a great day. I think you held 35-10. So, so we're, we're about equal, though. We, we, we think that LSU wins handily. I think the answer comes down to, does Joe Brady in this offense want to just like shut everybody up and be like, hey, this is what we can do, or do they just want to be careful? That's it's really, I think, what the oh, answer is. And I wonder what they will do. Because I could see it going either way, because they have had so much scrutiny over this. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, the other thing you got to be worried about, or not worried about, but you do if you're trying to be a little cute and, like, hide things, um, it, it also takes away, I think, from your players a bit. Because you're not letting them just go out there and, like, fully That's true, just yeah. kind of, like... That impacts them, yeah. Yeah, like, just max get confidence, maximize everything. Because even if, like, I think back to... You, you've seen this in the past where the teams claim they do that, and it kind of takes away from the overall good feeling of the game. Like, yeah, you had a great start offensively, but then it felt like you started to sputter, and you could say, oh, that was by design, but it still takes a little bit uh, – it just takes a little bit out of it. You don't, you, you don't have the same feelings when you go on there and you just beat the shit out of someone for four quarters straight. So I believe it. Do you not have a good Army parallel for that one, a good military one? Ah, oh, shit. Yeah. I'll have to th- I prob- you could have prob- had three military-based or, like – Combat based analogies. In I, one I, I could. I, I can always find one. It's I mean, only our I, second episode. I used to get uh, my entire childhood. I used to get Military History Magazine and just read. God, you sounded so cool. Battles of Yore. It was. Uh, I was very cool. Very, <laughs> very cool. Uh, video games and military history. And that's it for the whole that podcast, podcast. We didn't talk about my weightlifting this time. Um, we did not. But you still look great. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> not quite. I, so after you mentioned Ryan Rosillo being jacked, I guess I looked closer in. Yeah, Rosillo was pretty jacked. Do you like not realize that? No, that's uh, like never, that's yeah. like ten percent of every show he's. No, on. I know, I know. To be to be honest, I don't. The only other sports talk show I listen to at all is uh, Levitard. A little bit of Levitard. You just put this on the record. No one, no one made you do that. <laughs> I know, I know. And then outside of that, all I listen to is podcasts and books on tape. Yeah, I'm listening to the new uh, Star Wars. Um, I'm listening to some of the new canon stuff here recently. I go like. I'll do like one historical book and then one like popcorn book. I always go back to. You ever seen Finding Forrester? Yeah, of course. Great movie, right? Great, yeah. 
when he's talking, he's like, were you reading the National Enquirer? What's that about? And he's like, oh, this is my uh, popcorn reading or whatever. <laughs> he's like, the New York Times is for dinner. This is dessert. Good Connery. And it's, uh, I've always thought about it like that. So I, so I do a little, I do like a little, a little dinner where I'll do like uh, the last, I did the FDR biography, which is excellent, Ooh. but they're long, like 30 some hours. And then now I'm just doing a nice, fun, new canon Star Wars novel about Thrawn. Love and, it. Uh, yeah, it's really good. All right. See, sports really like good. like I'm same as you. I'm sure is like sports is my job all day. So my yes. podcast listening and all that yes. is like I'm a huge film and TV nerd. So my podcasts are all like film analyses and like TV ah, breakdowns, really? stuff like that. That's like ninety percent of what I listen. To. You see Mindhunter season two yet? I'm four in. I'm a big believer in not binge watching things, so I will only let myself watch like one every few days. That's a great call. I mean, if I had that it. discipline, I would love it. I wasted way I, like four hour chunks. I tore away well, in Mindhunter, why- and it does take away a little bit overall because you start to lose focus by the end. You lose focus when you binge watch. You kind of lose details. Yeah. Also, you, it just cheapens it. I, I, like, I want that few days of thinking about what just happened. That's what makes Game of Thrones so great is that you have a week of like debating with your buddies what's I going agree, on. I agree, but it's like it's I hard, don't have enough self control. I need the well, that's artificial how I got this barrier jacked. that uh, <laughs> it's like I need the artificial barrier that like uh, Amazon puts up with Handmaid's Tale, right? Where Ooh, that's you good. Don't release the episode for another week, and I think there's value there too. People love to binge, and I'm sure the Netflix has all the numbers and everything. Yeah. But think about as you said the cultural touchstone that was every Sunday of Game of Thrones because everybody had to wait until this time to watch it. And there's just not a lot of stuff like that anymore. And don't get me wrong, there's some shows that are meant to be binge-watched. I don't have it off the top of my head, but there's certain shows that are, like you said, popcorn, and you just want to crush. And there's certain shows that are just like... I if you're like watching like The Office or something, sure, just have it on in the background and it can just be mindless. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm keeping my brain entertained, I suppose. I'm not a big do two things at once fan, though. I'm not a big podcast in the background because I can't. Oh, no, no. Like, I can't pay attention to what they're saying. I have to fully give myself to each, to whatever I'm doing at the time. Oh, no, yeah, I'm with you there. Okay, my bad. I thought you meant I, just, like, having another screen open or something. See, exactly, yeah, no, like, yes, like, no, I'm I'm not a big, okay. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a big two-screen guy, I just can't, I can't maintain I, focus. Well, I think mine's also part of, like, being a beat reporter. I am, su- ask anyone around me, I'm such a paranoid guy, like, I am anxious <laughs> yeah. at all times that something's gonna happen, so I can't. And on that note, we should probably end it. I've never thought about that. You could never be too far away. From oh, because I'm phone. a movie guy, so I'll go see a matinee, and I am just paranoid. <laughs> my phone is out. I, I always have to sit in the back row because my phone is out. Still, I still haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've seen it twice. you got to check it out. <sighs> Nathan's going to see it for a fourth time. Today. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that is it for this week's Hold the Podcast podcast. Uh, we'll have an email set up uh, by next week's episode, which you can send in your questions, and uh, maybe I'll get some of those to Twitter or something for next week. And we'll do like a little mailbag segment somewhere along the way. But I think we got you set for Georgia Southern. We expect a big win for LSU. And then you're ready because next episode we'll be talking Texas. So uh, thank you, Brody Miller, for doing this. This is awesome. Hope you guys liked it. See you next week.